0: So the problem basically I would define is this is that you know you have some companies that define big and work big okay they never get anything done you have some companies that define big and work small one piece at a time you know they don't really learn you have other companies that define big and then work in thin slices they're still defining big so each one of these versions has a kind of problem and many people in these companies are saying you know I get all these concepts but still something feels like it's not connecting
1: Hello, and welcome to the Product People podcast. Here we learn from the most amazing people in the product space for 30 minutes at a time. My name is João Moita, and today we bring you the highlights of a presentation and Q&A with John Cutler, hosted by Lisa, product manager at Product People, and recorded live at one of our community events. John Cutler is a product evangelist at Amplitude, and he is also the author of the super cool newsletter, The Beautiful Mess. In this presentation, he talks about the concept of thinking big while also working small, followed by some insightful questions from the audience. At Product People, our mission is to help companies discover and deliver great products faster. We do that by doing hands-on product management work at companies of all sizes and also by sharing knowledge generously with our community of more than 20,000 product enthusiasts. To find out more about us and access our community, check our website getproductpeople.com or head over to our YouTube, LinkedIn or Meetup pages. You can find all the links in the episode description. I leave you now with John and Lisa. I hope you enjoy this episode. So one thing I've been hearing a lot about lately
0: and I think, you know, we're sort of 21 years since maybe the Agile Manifesto and different teams around the world are at different spots. But, you know, someone gave this quote recently, which I really like, which they said, we've traded waterfalls for whirlpools. And I really like this. And, and what this is basically conveying is that for a lot of teams, um, they've actually figured out how to ship more iteratively or incrementally, but they're missing a big picture. You know, they feel like they're just going in circles. Now, certainly that's not all teams in the world, but this is a sentiment that I'm hearing more and more from different teams. And the way that I like to describe it is this difference between working big. So you could think initially, you know, for many teams, their only way of working is to work big. So these just big, massive projects, they're, you know, they're defined takes a long time to get anything done. And when they finally get it done, you know they've figured out that half the stuff doesn't work typically. Now, the response to that, if you think about it, was there was a sort of middle period for many companies where they define big, but then they figure out how to work small. So this was certainly an improvement, right? So In this case, they would define some big effort, but then they learned how to deliver that particular thing incrementally or iteratively. And there was was some learning, but still really the definition of the work was pretty big. And I think for many teams where we've actually left off is that they're just working small. So they figured out how to work very small. They figured out how to work in these sprints or whatever they're doing. They're delivering a lot more frequently. But there's something missing in working in this way. And I think that's what a lot of product organizations are grappling with at this particular moment. To describe this, you know, something like OKRs are very popular now or other methods, but I like this quote from a company, you know, we say we're focusing on outcomes, but what we've done is basically taken two week sprints and then exchanged them for quarterly sprints and then decided to tack on outcomes on everything that we've done. And I love this quote because it shows that, you know, you can take an idea like OKRs or setting quarterly goals. And you can basically force it to mean whatever you want it to mean. So what's happening in these particular, this is actual data from an actual company. What's happening in a lot of these companies, even that are using OKRs or using particular goal setting methods is look at the, look at the amount of work completed during this quarter. You know, it's going, it's going, it's going, oh my goodness, we've got 10 days left in the end of the quarter. Go shit, <laughs> right? We're getting all this stuff done at the end. We're delivering all these things. Now, this was a company that was using OKRs, it was thinking about outcomes. And so my point here is that in many ways, we've just exchanged this idea of kind of defining big, and we've mashed these into this idea of working in terms of outcomes, but we're, we're not really thinking about how all these things are connected. And a lot of times people look at this and they say, oh, well, that must not be a popular tech company, but this is a popular tech company. This is a company that most of you point at and say, they're doing products so well, and they're still struggling with these particular problems. So one way we could think about the problem is this, is that you could imagine these sort of different layers of the picture. And so we have business strategy. So the highest level, there's one slide, it's glorious. It has a couple bullets on it. Oh, it's amazing. Okay. That's the business strategy. Everyone gets that. And now we've got JIRA. We've got the work tracking. These are the things we try, the bets and experiments we try. And then some companies, they use like a a road mapping tool. And so you can see the problem here. So we have the business strategy. Okay, that's clear. And we have the work that we're trying. And maybe even this company is using something like Teresa Torres's opportunity solution tree. And so you can see that they've got sort of the idea of opportunities, but there is a big gap that's missing here. And this is what I call the messy middle problem, right? There is nothing connecting these particular worlds. And this is a big problem for a lot of companies. This is what's getting in the way. This is why some companies only work small, some companies only think big, but it's actually very rare to think big and work small because there's a lack of connectivity here. There's a big question about how these worlds are connected. And this is a problem I see in many, many, many different companies. So the problem basically I would define is this, is that you you have some companies that define big and work big, okay, they never get anything done. You have some companies that define big and work small, one piece at a time, You know they don't really learn. You have other companies that define big and then work in thin slices, they're still defining big. Then you have other companies that work small, Well, they're not thinking big. (laughs) Then you have other companies that say solve this problem. They're not thinking big. You have some companies that think in terms of experiments. They're not necessarily thinking big. So each one of these versions has a kind of problem. And many people in these companies are saying, you know, I get all these concepts, but still something feels like it's not connecting. So what we'll cover for the rest of this talk is what I call thinking big. And so that's these sort of four key points that you need to think about to connect the small with the big. Number one, a compelling strategy. Two, using what I call a persistent model. I'm just gonna use the North Star framework as an example here, but there's others. Three, opportunity-focused bets, and then teams with the freedom and ability to work small. That's really what you need for teams to be able to think big and work small. If you just have four or three, you're just gonna be going into little circles. And if you just have number one, you're going to always be changing your strategy. You're never going to figure out how to get anything done. (laughs) So this is the balancing act that we have with product. Now, starting with strategy, this talk is not about strategy, but one of the number one challenges I see meeting teams is that they do not have an opinionated product strategy that defines the unique set of attributes or conditions that's going to explain how they're going to be able to win. You know, moving up into the enterprise is actually not a strategy. Goals and objectives are not strategy. (laughs) A strategy is a unique set of ideas that allow you to apply leverage as a team. Trying to do all the things is not a strategy. A strategy is a unique set of ideas that allows you to put pressure in one area and align the team and then get outsized results. This quote is from Richard Rummel, Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. The talk is not about strategy, but without that strategy in place, we have difficulty. Now, the next is what I referred to as kind of a model that can help pull things together. So this is actually an example from one of our workshops. This company builds kits that you can build at home to build things, so it's do-it-yourself. It It targets these kind of curious do-it-yourselfers, It promises to help them get things done, curiosity and fun. And it has some unique ideas about what are the parts of the puzzle. So this particular company helped take their strategy and then turn it into a model that could align teams persistently. Meaning this model doesn't change every quarter or even every year. This is going to stay relatively stable for years, actually. And it's going to give that, that, this is where you can turn that strategy into something that can align teams. So they maybe have a North Star metric of repeat makers. These are people who check in their projects. And their concept, their unique set of attributes is that they're going to be able to match people with the right projects. They're going to help people complete their first-time projects to kick off a flywheel and loop. And then they are going to use active community members as a way to drive. This is just an example from a company, but I wanted to give you an example of going from some sort of high level idea about the product promise and who's involved to a model that can help align the particular teams. And this is kind of the missing link for a lot of teams attempting to take the think big to the work small. So you can see how this works with this particular company. So here they have repeat makers, which is their North star and their three inputs, project matching success rate, project completion rate and active community members. And then over here, they've got their bets, right? Capture, maybe this team wants to build a personalization workflow. For example, a lot of times people think that OKRs are a strategy. OKRs are not a strategy. OKRs are used to deploy a strategy. So goals are important. You know, this team has a goal to improve project suggestions. They have an idea that they're gonna capture goals in a personalization workflow. But very importantly, this is time-bound work and goals. And this context persists over years, potentially. And that's the missing link for a lot of teams when it comes to connecting the working small to the thinking big. But they don't do both of them at the same time. And then you can see how this is able to tie the work together. Now, I'm not going to go in depth to this, but you might be working at your company and say, aha, well, that's so simple, John. That's only for startups that have an app. We work in a very complex business and it doesn't apply to us. Not true. (laughs) This is about as, this is like logistics. This is about as hardcore of a complex product in B2B as you can get. And they're able to do the same thing. You know, they want to promote these healthy projects, industrial projects. They have a team that's working on automation. That team that's working on automation has three levers, the breadth of their automation, the accuracy of the automation, the speed of the automation, and the satisfaction of the automation, and then they've got layers of things that are connecting this. Now, the important thing, if you're looking at this, you can say, oh my God, this makes my head hurt, but this is reality. This is the problem with a lot of how organizations, they, they, they deal in a messy space and they try to make it simple, but in making it simple, they lose reality. So the reality at this company is that there is a team working on manual reminders, which will improve response times, which will decrease the duration of completed workflows, will increase speed. And there is a team working on, I don't know, some tool X that they're building. So part of the goal here about thinking big, working small is creating the connective tissue between the work all the way to those things that are going to be true for the company for years to come. And that's what helps create the balance that you see. That's a very complex example. But to go back to our example for the do-it-yourself company, what this does is this allows, so let's say we have our team, it's called the Hex Pistols, great. So the Hex Pistols, they want to match first time do it yourselfers to their first project, great. That's their mission. They have that goal, which is going to stay stable quarter after quarter this project matching success rate goal. And yes, they have their OKR for that quarter, but they have a roadmap that connects the things that they're trying to the next level. And so you see that this connectivity is extremely important in thinking big, working small. Of course, I work in Amplitude, so obviously they have a bunch of dashboards that are really helpful to them. (laughs) One of the big mistakes, you know, data is very, very important, but mostly important is this review stage. If you're not reviewing your work, it's very difficult to understand if it has an impact. So when I share this with people, people say, oh, that's impossible. It would never work at our company. But this is actually what that looks like for a real company. Look, North Star, inputs, input one, input two, input three, and then one pagers are their bets. What's very helpful if you're in product is people often say, why are you so busy poor product manager? This is only 10% of the work. The rest of the work is happening in all these planning stages and all this discussion and things like that. I would leave you with one final thought that for many companies, they're working in this very feature factory mode. So this is number one, you know, someone says, build this, the team builds it and they ship stuff. Now, number two is where I think a lot of teams are in the world right now, where they, they understand outcomes, but it's something's not quite right. This is what our talk was about today. So they've got these time-based goals. This is your OKR. This is what you're doing. And it's a little bit about this, you know, it's a little bit black box. It's kind of hard to understand how things fit together. They've got these goals. They're trying to do outcomes. It's better than maybe just the feature factory, but it's still, there's something not quite clicking. So to summarize, you need that compelling strategy, that unique kernel that Rommel talks about. Number two, this idea of the persistent model. The model is that connective tissue there. And then what we're familiar with this idea of, you know, looking at opportunities and the ability to ship and work small, which is obviously important as well. You need both to be able to do that.
2: Thank you very much, John. That was super insightful and interesting. I'm sure we'll have a lot of questions. How do you define a North Star?
0: Yeah, so a North Star really starts with product strategy. And the North Star is meant to represent a unique characteristic of your product strategy that also overlaps with customer value, that resonates with the team, that's not so short-term that you can move it up and down quickly. But it's not so long-term that it takes years and years to move. So we wrote a book about it at Amplitude called North Star Playbook. You can read there and it gives you some sense of how to do that. But one, I'll give one tip for people is that people think it's about a metric. It's secondarily about a metric. And so I always say that like powerful ideas are more important than perfect measures. So one of the keys to getting your North Star, especially as it's meant to represent the future, not necessarily what the past data has told us, is that it's part art, part math and stats. It's part art to find that concept. Like at Amplitude, our North Star's weekly learning users, not weekly querying users or weekly active users. And a learning user is someone who shares their learning with their team because our product is specifically based for these fast-moving product teams. And so, yeah, I don't know if that helps, but it's a little bit of an art And it needs to capture the essence of your product and ideally be human-oriented, you know, so people feel good about it. I always ask, if you see it go up, does it make the people in the company more confident about the long-term success of the company? And that's usually a good test.
2: I see another question related to the North Star. And the question is, how do you make sure that you've got the right North Star?
0: Yeah, so that actually relates to what I just said, that You can obviously go back over time. There's the idea and the measure, and we can talk about it being right on two levels. Is it the right idea and is it the right measure? You know you have the right idea when increases in that, like I just mentioned, increase the confidence level of the team that they're on the right track. So for example, at Amplitude, you know, Spencer, our CEO, and Justin Bauer, our CPO, Justin has built the narrative with Spencer that if the product team continues to focus on increasing our North Star, it's going to set us up well for the future. So that's the ultimate test is, does the CEO of the company say, I trust you, that's that's what we have to move, and that will set us up for long-term success. Now, measurement part, is it the right measure over time at looking at correlations and doing a little bit of deeper analysis? But one point here is, Some teams change the measure, but keep the idea. If I have the idea of a healthy collaborative team and today's best measurement is this, I might learn how to measure it better in the future, but the idea remains the same. And that's really the best North Stars are when that idea can remain the same for multiple years. Thank you. Well, thank you, John, for the excellent explanation. I was curious on understanding, when we look at the companies, the client side, like who should be kind of owning this middle ground between strategy and execution that you're talking about? I really do think it has to do with the the highest level of product leadership that exists in the company is responsible for creating the conditions where it can both emerge, you know, and they we can you can drive agreement on it, but then also being that I, I mentioned that example at our company with Justin and Spencer, you know. At the end of the day, Justin delegates finer analysis for teams to think about maybe what their particular North Star is or then what you know the, the overall North Star is. But he owns the narrative, connecting the narrative with the highest levels of leadership at, our, at the company and building that consensus that this is the right thing. The worst thing that can happen is the product team says, oh, we've got this North Star. And then someone from sales or marketing says, I don't trust, you know, I don't trust it. So, for example, at Amplitude, our customer success team also looks at the North Star to understand if there's a healthy account. Our sales team, when it comes to renewals, points to the North, to points to weekly learning users and says that. It's in the language of everything we do. And that's largely under the ownership of the, the you know, the CPO or the, the most chief, most product leader, I think, to be able to do that. And then also kind of work with the teams of the people that report to them to kind of build alignment around those almost like mini north stars to me this is really about product leadership and this actually tells us a story what's broken in a lot of companies is that they've got really smart business strategists really smart people who understand the business part and they've delegated product to a delivery model and then therefore no one is at a point a level in the company to be able to advocate for these things you know to have a real digital product strategy versus just you know, a McKinsey strategy on the business side, and then a, you know, roadmap on the opportunity side, you know, like, oh, we have a roadmap of opportunities. There's still a lot of gaps there. So that's product leadership to me, what what they do.
2: Thank you for that. How do you involve other teams in the product strategy? Marketing, sales, customer support. I mean, you did already mention a bit of that, but... Yeah, I think that,
0: you you know, the reality is that for... Many of those groups, they have a a rather narrow view of what a product strategy should be. So for some of those groups, it's like a vision of what you're going to build. And for other groups, it's how am I going to sell it? And for other groups, it's tell me what it does so I can market it. And so I think one reality that as a product leader, you need to understand is that Everyone has a different view of product strategy. And actually, if you try to make all of them happy with one version of it, you're going to make no one happy, really. They're going to be just like, oh, yeah, it looks good to me. And then three months later, six months later, no one will buy into it. And so what you need to do when it comes to these other groups, let's just use sales as an example. If product is not thinking about how this will be sellable, (laughs) how sales will target people to sell it the buying process you know who are these decision makers i'm talking b2b largely here but we could we could talk about b2c in a second it's going to be impossible for that product strategy to resonate with sales and similarly with marketing you know if you can't do the things they're going to need so i'd say that the number one thing here is you need to be empathetic to what those different groups are tasked to do within the company and you need to be able to accentuate the parts of the product strategy that help them feel more comfortable that this is the correct direction. You know, nothing's worse than a product strategy that has everyone on the product team going, yeah, yeah. Okay. This makes sense. And then no one in the rest of the business. And then also nothing is more depressing than a product strategy that only makes sales happy. And then everyone on the product team is like, oh, "Just, you know, this is not inspiring. So it just, again, comes back to the product leader. You need to, I guess what I'm saying is there is no way for one strategy to make everyone happy. You need to have a solid set of ideas and beliefs and assumptions and then repackage for the different groups to be able for them to be able to give positive feedback, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. I guess it's I mean, it's very similar to engineering teams, right? If they take yep. ownership of what they're working on, everybody's on board. It really helps, you know, the whole team work towards this nurse nurse there.
0: Yeah. I think I think what I'm broadly saying is, is that product is hard. If you go low level, someone asks you to go high level. If you go a high level, they ask you to go low level. If you go in the middle, they ask you to go high level and low level. If you give them problems, they ask for solutions. If you give them solutions, they ask for problems. If you ask them problems, they ask you to give you the bigger problem. If you give them the bigger problem, they ask you for the biggest problem. Like Your work is never done. And so one of the real reasons that this thinking big, working, small thing breaks is that you know the product leader just assumes, well, I'm just going to come up with the perfect template and everyone will be happy. That never happens. So you need to have the collection of ideas and beliefs in the model, and then you need to be able to recontextualize it for different groups so that they understand how they fit in. There's no way to come up with one statement of a product strategy that will resonate everywhere in the company and help everyone understand how they fit in. That's just the reality. And so you you just need to face that reality.
2: All right. How do you go about creating a product strategy where there isn't a written business strategy or the business strategy keeps changing?
0: Well, you're going to need to come up with a business strategy for them.
2: I mean, yeah,
0: there's no quick answer to that. I mean, I I think, though, that let's just be a little bit more empathetic to the situation. Especially in startups or certain things, you'll find that the business strategy, you know, that there's some founder or a certain set of executives that have a very strong connection to some kind of domain. That they're very interested in disrupting, that they feel that there's a lot of opportunity in there. And they've never, they themselves, strategy to them is just a plan to ship the things and to do these things. So I think that the most empathetic way you can do that as a product leader, if the business strategy keeps changing is to just really help people understand why it makes a difference for you. And a lot of product leaders don't do this. They say, oh, it just sucks, you know, I can't help. But I think this is where the product leader needs to say something like, look, to make better decisions about whether to focus on this persona or this persona, it's gonna be really helpful for me to understand what your assumptions are about this part of the market or where we're gonna evolve in. It's just a more empathetic way of trying to ask questions. So, I think th- there's just no easy answer. You're going to have to ask them enough questions to get what's in their head out. That would be the final thing I would say for that question. Often there is a strategy, it's just an implicit strategy, not an explicit strategy. It's in the heads of these people, and they're just like, well, of course, everyone knows the strategy. So, one thing that you can do in that is empathetically ask questions that help kind of tease apart the different elements so that. You just make it easier for them. Sorry.
2: Do you make adjustments in your way of connecting thinking big and work small according to output or reviews? If so, how? And could you give an example?
0: Let, let me give the, the broad example. Let's say that you haven't tried to optimize something yet, ever. At that point, usually there's a lots of headroom. So everything you do at that point is going to be a major win. Or, or you know, you're going to have a lot of wins. <laughs> And then in those reviews, you know, often in those reviews, the feedback will be something like, and I'll try to give an example, like, they seem to love it. Seems to be great. You know, we're we're just doing amazing. (laughs) But with most opportunities back into that thinking big, working small, at a certain point after trying a number of things, you start to level off, right? And that's when it's most important in the reviews. To start to catch that moment before you double down and invest too much money in the current direction, which would change what our concept of thinking big, working small. So, the one example, the the one bit of advice I'd give to that question is when you do regular reviews, try to put a light amount of process in place to catch when your efforts are stopping to have an effort act, right? You know, when are you starting to see no lift? When are you starting to see no real feedback? And that's usually your signal at that point to potentially revisit the graph. You know, do you have the right opportunity? Is it connected into the strategy the right way, or have you been chasing a kind of local maximum and you need to shift gears that that's really the biggest, I don't know if that made sense to people, but in your learning reviews, stay very attentive between the transition between everything works to nothing works. <laughs> and then that's usually a signal for you that you need to change the focus that you have.
2: All right. Thank you very much for that answer. So, John,
0: I was just thinking about how do we define big and how do we define small? Because most of the examples are around companies that are kind of single product. Right. And company. But if you think about an insurance mm. client where they right. have a product for the for the consumer, for the user, a product for the for the mediator. A product for the like all sorts of different products. Like when you have these lenses, where do you focus this big and small or did two yeah, different I you know, that. like this startup companies and the other? Yeah, I love that particular question because as the what I would call almost the ecology becomes more complex for a company, like banking is a massively complex ecology. So Banking is a great example. And I'll give you an example from a massive bank in Europe. I go into a North Star workshop for them and they say, we have 200 products, something like that. And I said, do you really have 200 products? Yeah, we have 200 teams. You know, We've got 200 teams in this particular area. And it's like checking account one, checking account two, checking account three, and banking app one, and banking app two, banking app three. And eventually, we we bolt it down to five or four different general value streams. There was commercial banking with a variation of mid-market and large institution. And then there was the various, you know, it's basically at the end of the day, a bank is there to protect your financial life, right? It's there to help the health of your financial well-being. And so the thing I would say is that are correct that in large like that example I gave of the workflow automation, that's a really big complex logistics company, et cetera, to do these things. In general, though, companies believe they have more going on than they have going on. If you really look at the number of human beings out, the groups of human beings out in the world that have a need, that you're using design data and technology to help them do what in B2B, right? To be successful of what they're doing, it's fewer. Than what the company has and i would even say this happened at zendesk when i was there you know we started to release all these products but at the end of the day it was just the agents who needed to do support tickets it was the people out in the world who had problems with their products <laughs> who were making support tickets and then maybe there was a little bit of de- you know developers who needed to try to put this together but even that was to support the product so you know we had seven, eight products or six, seven, eight products, but at the end of the day, there was just a small group of human beings. So I don't know if that helps. I think it's just very contextual, but in general, challenge the idea that your org chart represents all the products you have, because almost certainly it doesn't, and you have fewer general value streams than you perceive you have, even in complex situations like insurance.
2: Thank you, John. How do you define big without endless meetings where you define everything you want to build and run into the risk of waterfall?
0: Yeah, so so I love actually that question because it points to the problem, right? That, you know, define big instead of think big. (laughs) So define big as a set of projects that you want to do is not what our goal is, right? Our goal is to think big and take that strategy and identify in a persistent solution agnostic, project agnostic, feature agnostic way, what the game is that we're playing. And that's really the secret here. Because if you go into these meetings and say, well, we got to think big to lay out all these year-long roadmaps and exactly what we're going to big," you're going to be back to where the define big problem instead of thinking big problem. So the way to do that is to imagine that you're taking that strategy, which is not goals and objectives, and a strategy is not features, it's, it's none of those things, and converting it into a model, which is agnostic to solutions that then can push the decision making down to the teams to be able to own parts of those particular things. And, and hopefully that helps as an answer.
2: You're right. Thank you, John, for having this event with us today.
0: Yep. My pleasure. It was awesome.
1: Thank you for listening to this Product People podcast episode. To check the full conversation with video to visualize John's presentation and to see the talks from other guests, head over to our YouTube page. The next episode will feature Colleen Graneto, product advisor and coach and former PM at Airbnb. Make sure to follow our show on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss it. See you next time.